All right. Um, well, I want to, to um, I wanted to j- just during the sermon just to take a few minutes and just to reflect on uh, just a little bit about what it means that we have a, a resurrected Lord, that He lives and He reigns. Um, he died and yet lives. We live and will die, but, uh, but He lives. Amen? And, uh, and it means a lot to us, of course, to have a God and a Savior and a friend in heaven who is alive uh, and is actively ruling and uh, interceding for us even at the Father's side. Any of you who are believers, Jesus intercedes at the Father's side, pleading for us, making our case before the Father, and uh, we have him in heaven. And, um, but what I want to do just for a moment here, if I could, if I, you know, there's some parts of the scripture that, you know, I just would love to have been there. You know, you ever, you ever read that? You just wish, you know, I, I think it was Clay was talking just, oh no, it was Jamie actually talking a little bit during uh, what he was saying that uh, about the disciples that were uh, Jesus opened their minds and, and, and began to show them, explain to them from Moses through the prophets about how he had to die and, and was raised to life. I wish I'd have been there for that, to have that really good explanation about the Old Testament and its relationship to Jesus Christ, because, man, it is all about him, isn't it? It, it is. It is truly all about him. Uh, but anyway, but what, I wish I'd, what I wish I'd have been there for this morning, nobody got to be there for except maybe some angels and the Lord Jesus himself. Um, but you, you remember whenever this great thing happened where, where the earth shook and the stone was rolled away and Jesus kind of just evacuated his, uh, his grave clothes um, and, and, and there was an earthquake and there was all this and there were, there were probably angels. I don't know if he was there. They were there at the time, but there, there was an angel there at least later and during that time. But you know, when the resurrection happened, you know who all got to be there? There was nobody. You know, God did this, and, and it just happened later, and he rolled the stone away, really not so Jesus could get, get out, but so the disciples could get in and see he's not there. He's not there. All right, but uh, anyway, I, I'd just like to take you back, and if I could ask you to just use your, uh, your, your, your cleansed imagination here with me this morning. During those three horrible days where Jesus had been killed and crucified on Friday, and the horror that the disciples had seen or at least heard of, and some of them were present, we know, maybe not all of them, but they saw things happen, and, and the things that they feared about Jesus being killed, just things kept getting progressively worse. You know, they went to one ruler, the synagogue ruler, they went to the, the ruler of the Pharisees, and, and they, then they went before some of the Roman governors, and I'm sure the whole time they were thinking, surely they'll let him go. Surely, but every time things just kept getting worse and, and the rulers just passed him from one to the other until ultimately they brought him before the Roman rulers who could actually have him uh, sentenced to death. The Jewish rulers could not. And uh, one thing happened after another and things just got progressively worse till the time that they had Jesus flogged um, and his back just opened by wounds there with the flogging and, and he was beaten by the soldiers and mocked and he was ultimately sentenced to die and things just kept getting progressively brutal and violent and, and depressing for the disciples who were watching all of this go down. And the crowd had an opportunity there before Pilate. He, and they, when he asked them, whom do you want? Who do you, whom do you want me to set free? And they said, what? Give us Barabbas. And they said, well, what about Jesus? And they said, crucify him. For three days then after Jesus had died, and they saw, some of his disciples saw him put on the tomb. Actually, some of his disciples wrapped him in linen and wrapped him in a burial cloth, and they, they put him in a tomb himself, and they had a stone rolled away in front of him. And for three days, there's got to be confusion. 
for three days, there's just quiet from heaven. There's just nothing happening. There's no revelation from God. There's just absolute silence from heaven. And for those three days, the disciples and really the whole earth, the whole of creation waited and wondered, what is going to happen next? Was this the end of it? Was this the end of Jesus' ministry? Was this the end of his life? Had everything come to an end here? And if I could take us back to those three really anxious, really mournful days for just a moment this morning, um, I'd like to share with you some questions about the resurrection because ultimately what we want to get to is Sunday when all of our questions are answered, when all the confusion is lifted, when the fog of death is is, uh, is driven away and there is life and light, amen, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you some questions this morning that the disciples must have surely asked, but we too, if we'd have been there and even knowing maybe God's plan, maybe we'd have asked these very same questions. The first question, I'm sorry, you know what, we need to read the account. In Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read just a very short account of the, uh, of the, uh, res- of the resurrection, and then I want to spend the rest of our time reading the effects of the resurrection. So Luke chapter 24, we're going to read just just verses 1 to 8 this morning. So 24th chapter of the book of Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. All right. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Amen. All right, so let's continue on just for a moment here. One of the questions, though, between the time that that Jesus was resurrected and they started having some idea about what was happening, in those three days prior to that, there was confusion and there was darkness. And the first question I'd like to ask you, that the first question that the disciples maybe were asking themselves was, had Jesus been overcome? Had he been overcome specifically by death and 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 darkness? Uh, and and I recounted this a little bit before, but. But you remember um, what happened here is that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting there with his disciples, and in utter darkness and evil, Judas took money to betray the Lord Jesus. And it, the Bible says, actually, in John, it says that Satan entered him when he got up to leave, and he left to betray Jesus. So much darkness. The Pharisees plotted to have Jesus killed so that they could keep their position, and so the Romans wouldn't come over, and they conspired against him and had been conspired against Jesus for months or years. The Roman government, the people who were supposed to be in rule and reign over the area, they heard Jesus' case, they heard, and they all knew he was innocent, but not one of them stood up for him for fear of the, of the Jews. And so every one of them, to keep their own place, they allowed Jesus to be killed. The Roman soldiers mocked Jesus and beat him, and they did it all for sport. You know, we read the story, we read the violence, we read about the, 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 the thorn of crowns, and we read about the cape that they put him on, and they mocked him as king, but they were violent and brutal for him. And the crowd, whenever, they, they, uh, whenever Pilate asked them who they wanted, they rejected Jesus. And not only did they reject Jesus, do you remember the words? He says, let his blood, Jesus' blood, let it be on us and let it be on our children 
what utter darkness, what other, other, utter evil that they could stand there and look at the innocent man that they knew that Jesus was and said, you crucify him and I don't, we don't care if you take responsibility for it, we will. You crucify him and let his blood be on us. So much evil, so much darkness, conspiracies and plotting, betrayal and corruption. But this isn't unlike the world we live in today still, is it? You open up the newspaper headlines and there is darkness all around. There are children who are abused. There are women who are abused. There's violence. There's people who kill with no thought or no idea, any remorse whatsoever, whether it be man to man or whether it be an entire nation uh, or group of people in a nation um, who are trying to drive out in hatred another group of people. So much darkness had that darkness, the darkness of mankind, had it overcome Jesus? Was it too much even for him? Was it too much to bear? All the man's rebellion against God, was it just too much? For three days, there had been no answer. For three days, heaven had been quiet. For three days, there was only grieving and weeping. For three days, there was only confusion. But on the third day, there was an answer. On the third day, there was an earthquake. On the third day, angels appeared. On the third day, the stone had been rolled away. On the third day, Jesus' body wasn't there. On the third day, Jesus overcame death and darkness and evil of all of the world. Amen? He overcame. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity. What's that talking about? I know it's Easter, but you can talk about it. It's all right. Let's talk about the incarnation. Why did Jesus come incarnate? Because God, in his love for his children, sent himself to be like us. He took on human flesh because his beloved children were human flesh. And so Jesus came in human flesh, being fully man and fully God, so that he could share, listen to what that says, so that he could share in our humanity. Why in the world would he want to do that? Why in the world would he want to put on our weaknesses and our limitation and our trials and our temptations and to know what it was like to suffer? Why would he want to do that? Because he has great love for his children. Anyway, he came in flesh and blood so that he could share in our humanity. So that, listen to what it says next, by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. You hear what it says there? It says that by Jesus' death and resurrection, he broke the power of Satan over the earth. He broke it and he took it away from him and he took that power away from him through his death and resurrection and he broke the, the, the devil's power. And listen in verse 15, it says, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Listen, we may die, but death will not be the end of us. Amen. We may die, but it won't be the end because we have seen our Lord and our Savior, the, the firstfruits, the firstborn from among the dead, and we will live like him. Jesus overcame death, and he overcame darkness. He broke the power of death. He overcame evil. He triumphed over them like a victorious king when he arose from the dead. Amen. The next question I'd like to ask, though, the next question the disciples there during those three horrible days must have been asking themselves was, Will trouble triumph? You know, we talked about evil and, and death, but will trouble triumph? And, and here's what, I, what I'm kind of asking you this morning is that, 
you know, sometimes you and I go through suffering, and, and sometimes we'll go through suffering that we really don't understand. I mean, we can read in the scriptures about, you know, maybe there's six or eight different reasons why we suffer, maybe more than that. And we'll, we need to talk about some suffering a little more on Sunday mornings. But for today, let me just say, but for suffering, there's sometimes that we feel like we're going through so much that we think it's going to overtake us. We think it's going to overwhelm us. We think it's just going to be absolutely more than we can bear. And there's sometimes that you and I go through frustration and we go through trial and we go through trouble and we think this may be more than I can take. This may be what does me in and all of my trouble and all of my suffering, this just may get the best of me and I, maybe I'll be held down here. Maybe this is going to have uh, its victory over me. I'm going to tell you a story about this picture I brought this morning. We had um, our daughter, our second daughter, Rebecca, was born two months premature, and uh, very similar to what uh, kind of David and Tiffany are going through right now. Um, Rebecca was in the hospital for about a month, and uh, whenever she was born, and um, she was pretty, she did pretty well there, except for she had a lot of trouble breathing. Um, uh, she couldn't, uh, she had a hard time remembering to breathe. Her body, uh, being born so young, she hadn't picked up on that uh, ability and that rhythm to continue to breathe, and so she would breathe for a while, and then she would stop, and and uh, over and over again, the nurses would have to stimulate her to, you know, rub her feet or, or they had a loud monitor. And whenever that wasn't enough, they, you know, they would come and they would rub her back or whatever to remind her that she needed to breathe. Well, that was a very dark time uh, for Brenda and I. Um, and to make it worse, we had about a 20-month-old at home, and her name is uh, Jessica. And, you know, at that time, she was like that tall. But uh, anyway, uh, we had Jessica at home. And, and uh, here's the story of this picture Rebecca was in the hospital during Easter, and uh, Re- Jessica was over at my parents. My, our older daughter was over at my parents, and things have been so hectic and so crazy. We were trying to go up to see Rebecca at the hospital um, over and over again as much as we could be up there. We wanted, you know, Brenda wanted to feed her, and we wanted to be with her because we had to leave her there in the hospital for so long. And, you know, it's just not right for mom. It's just not right for a family not to get their bringing their family home, their their children home. But anyway, in in that time. Um, we were suffering. We were crying a lot, and we really weren't sure, you know, something could happen, something could turn worse, and, and we were really afraid at times that, we, that Rebecca might not make it. Um, we were scared, and we were young, and we were stupid, <laughs> but, um, but we were suffering. Uh, it, uh, it, it, was a, it was a really difficult time for us, a really dark time. Brenda was looking for me for answers. Brenda was looking for me for comfort, and honestly, it was more than I could give her because I'm just a man. She was looking for someone to hold out to hope in the midst of our suffering, and I couldn't do it. We needed someone else to come alongside us. But let me tell you the story, uh, finish the story. Jessica was over at my parents one day when we were up at the hospital, and we'd kind of forgotten about Easter. We, had kind of, we didn't make any preparations. I mean, me, my wife and I hadn't made any preparations. And so um, over Easter, um, my parents actually took Jessica and uh, we didn't have any Easter eggs, like I say. Jessica was kind of the first grandchild, and, and uh, we hadn't made preparations. And so uh, my dad had the idea. He had some golf balls. He was kind of a golfer back in those, in those days. And uh, he, he took golf balls, and Jessica's, you know, not yet two, so she doesn't know any better, right? So he hid golf balls in his front yard all over the place, and he gave Jessica a little bag or something or a basket and so this is a picture of Jessica in their front yard with all those uh, roses there as she's hunting what came to be known as Easter balls. And uh, there they hunted Easter balls together on Easter since we were kind of disposed of. But I tell that story to remind you this morning that um, 
there's times that we think that, that all of our suffering is going to overcome us. There are times that we, we can't see outside of it and just we think that this is too much for me to bear. There is too much trouble. There is too much darkness. And in all of the, those three days, while the, um, while the disciples were sitting there and they had, they had waited and really every, every one of their worst fears had come true, they had seen, they were afraid that Jesus would be killed and I, they could not have imagined what it would have been like in its brutality and its violence. They couldn't have imagined how people who were in places of authority wouldn't stand up for him and defend him even though they knew he was innocent. And all of this suffering and all of these trials, and now they were all left alone. And the question I think they were asking during those three days, would all this get the best of them too? The people who were in ruling position, who had Jesus crucified, were still in ruling positions, and they were afraid of his followers so much so that Peter, whenever they were asked, well, weren't you one of his? He said, no, not me. I'm not one of them. Because why? Because he was afraid that he would suffer. He was afraid that he would be persecuted. He was afraid of the suffering as well. They saw their their leader beaten, mocked and flogged and humiliated and killed. Why wouldn't they do it for him? Would their struggles, would their suffering overcome them? Would trouble triumph? Would trouble overcome them too? I want to ask you about that in your life. Will trouble overcome you? Will suffering overcome you? Will trouble triumph in those days? Will will there be just too much for you at some point? Um, I can tell you the answer from the Scripture. Jesus Now, this is the night that he would be betrayed. This is the night that he was talking with his disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. There is never any idea in the scriptures that God's people will escape it. Amen? We will have trouble. It's going to happen. But look with me at the end of the verse. This is even before Jesus lays his life down at the cross. This is before he's crucified. But such confidence in the Father that he knows it's going to happen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. When G- we all have trouble, we all have sufferings, and it seems like sometimes that our suffering and our trouble will absolutely overwhelm us, but in the resurrection we can see that trouble does not have the victory. Trouble will not be the ultimate uh, victor. There is one who is the overcomer, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ who over- overcome all of the trouble and all of the struggle, all of the, his suffering he overcame, and God the Father set him at the, his right hand on that day, and you will not be overcome by trouble. Why? Because Jesus Christ, your King, has overcome the world. Amen? Amen. Last thing I want to ask this is this. During those three days, let me set the stage for you a little bit. Do you remember what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane? There, Jesus was troubled. Um, he was suffering at that time. He was, uh, there was blood on it in his hands and, and, and from his head, and, and, and he was suffering under stress and really a- a- anxiety about what was coming. And, and really, in, in his human nature, he knew his weakness, um, and he knew what was coming, and it was almost too much for him to bear. It was just almost too much for him to bear. And he asked his disciples, what, do you remember what he asked them to do? Keep watch and pray. 
And he went back to them. And what did he find them doing? Okay. This was the evening he'd be turned over. This was the evening he'd be arrested. And those great, you know, men of faith, the ones we call those great apostles, were asleep as Jesus was struggling with this cup of suffering that he was going to drink. And, and this wasn't the only time they kind of messed up. You remember I talked about Peter. Peter messed up three times, right? He said, I don't know Jesus when people kept asking. And Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. Even though Peter had said, oh, no, I don't care. You know, I'll lay down my life. I'm, I'm going to go in all the way with you. And he said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Um, and there was a time also that James and John's mom actually went to Jesus. And, you know, talk about a squirrely deal when your mom's got to step up to you to the master. But anyway, his, their mom goes to Jesus and said, can they have the left and right hand in your, in your kingdom? Pardon me. And uh, all the other disciples got angry and they were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. Okay, all of this stuff happens, and then they see Jesus Christ killed. And, and the time especially when they all ran for cover, and there was even one of the disciples that ran naked. They grabbed his clothes when Jesus was arrested, and he ran away naked. He was so afraid. Um, so, you know, when your fear is greater than your humiliation, you're pretty afraid, right? Um, but uh, anyway, so he ran away in fear, but they had all abandoned him. There was not one of them who stood with him at his time of need, not one of them. And listen to this, and none of them had time to apologize. None of them had time before that horrible Friday to apologize and say, Lord, I failed you. Will you forgive me? But they would have the opportunity. Amen? They would have the opportunity again. So here's my question for you this morning, the question that they must have been asking themselves during those three days. Can I be forgiven? Can I be forgiven when I turn my back on the Lord, when I ran in fear, when he needed me most and I wasn't there for him? Can I be forgiven? I want to ask you about you this morning, if that's where you are this morning. Are you in a place where you wonder whether or not you can be forgiven? Have you wondered whether or not you've fallen so far away that maybe there was a time in your life that you were closer to the Lord than you are now, but you've gone, there's been so much time and so much distance between now and then that, that you're wondering now, have I fallen too far? Can I be forgiven? Or maybe you're at a time in your life where you've never been close to the Lord and you just wonder at this time and at this age if, uh, if he can still find forgiveness for you. I can tell you because of what I see by the work of Jesus on the cross and by his resurrection, the answer is absolutely yes. Listen, sin is a powerful enemy. It not only causes us to do things, you know, we think of sin and kind of a behavior, you know, like I lied or I lusted or whatever, uh, but, but sin is not just a behavior, sin is a condition. The reason you and I lie or the reason that you and I lust is because we are sinners. There's something twisted and broken inside of us that we can't respond correctly. You know, when Jesus was, was, uh, was falsely accused, we, we, we sang it this morning, he kept his mouth quiet. He didn't say a word in his defense. When you and I are offended, we'll go off on somebody, right? Because we think that we should. We think it's right. It feels right in our hearts, but it's not right, is it? And that, that's just one, you know, there's, there's lying, there's lust, and, and there's so many times that my response is wrong because I'm responding from a brokenness and from a sinfulness in my sinful condition. Sin is a powerful enemy. It makes us blind to our own faults. Well, here's my question. Can you be forgiven? Can I be forgiven? 
Is it too late? Have you failed too many times? Are you struggling with the same sin that you've been struggling with for years? Can you be forgiven? Have you fallen too far? In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive with Christ. Listen to what it says next. He forgave us all our sins. Let me pause there for just a minute. Your sins of the past, your sins that you're struggling with right now here today, the sins that you've not yet struggled with in the future, he died to forgive every single one. Christianity, we have this idea in our mind that once, that, that, that once we come to Christ, we get his, his cleansing at that one time of conversion, and from then on, we're supposed to be perfect. Listen, that is nowhere in the Bible. What is in the Bible is that you and I will always need his forgiveness from this time until we no longer deal with the sinful nature, the sinful nature that we have inside of us. We will always need his forgiveness. We will always be in confession, and we will always need to look back to the cross and say, yes, at the cross, at the cross, that's where I need to go. That's where I need to find relief for my sin. It is right there. And listen, verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So what Jesus said, what, what's said here about Jesus is in his death and resurrection, at Jesus' death right there on the cross, it is as if every charge that was made against you for every sin, every twisted thought, every ill motive, everything you've done that you shouldn't have, and everything you should have done that you didn't, every charge that could be made against you was taken as though it had been written out and every charge against you was nailed to the cross when Jesus died and it was taken away there forever. Amen? And you and I no longer stand under that condemnation. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are freed from that condemnation for your sin of the present, the past, and your future. It was all done away with there at the cross. Amen? And to prove that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for every single one of your sins, he raised Jesus from the dead saying, I accept this sacrifice. It is paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. Let me tell you really quickly. You and I are tempted to walk in kind of beating ourselves up and, and avoiding God when we, when, we, when we struggle with sin. And it's almost this kind of a deal where we're, we feel like we're paying penance for the, the, the sin that we've done. I'm telling you this morning, anything that keeps you from coming to the cross with your sin is an idol. Are you hearing me? You must turn the other way. That does not do you any good. That puts you back into legalism as though there was something you could do to pay the penalty for your sin. You couldn't. You and I were powerless to pay for our sin. We needed a redeemer. We needed a savior. We needed someone to step in to save us, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He did all of the work, and you and I are free from shame and guilt. We are freed from the condemnation of sin, and don't you walk under it if you're in him anymore. Amen? Whenever you feel that condemnation come upon you, you need to remember this very sin that I'm struggling with is one of the sins that Jesus Christ died for, and I am freed from it. Praise the Lord. Amen? Don't you let, don't you think for a moment that in avoiding God that you're doing some sort of holy penance, you're turning toward legalism when you need to turn to Christ. Amen? And there at the cross, what do we do? We just bow our knee and we thank him. We thank him for paying every one of our sins, though they were great. Amen.
And we need to finish. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. There's a lot of question about the, about the uh, there's so many times where Paul in Colossians talks about powers and authorities and spiritual powers and authorities, about what they mean. But, uh, but in the end, let me say this is what he means, is that everything that stand opposed to God, God overcame through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took away all of their power and all of their authority in the, in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm. Every one of them, he took all of his authority, and it was like a king marching all of his captives through town, the people who he had humiliated in battle. And Jesus leads this parade of all of the captives that he had taken uh, through the cross and through the resurrection, and he makes a public spectacle of them all, saying there is no one now who stands in, with any power or any authority except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. All right. I need to wrap up. I got a little more excited. I'm sorry that I meant to today. It's getting hot in here. Um, but uh, but let, me, let me close with this. I, I want to invite you this morning. We're going we're gonna, to, we just got a, another couple things this morning, but I, I want to invite you this way. If you're at the point where you're stuck in your sin, or you're stuck in that place where you're feeling guilt and shame, I'm telling you this morning, Jesus died that you would be freed from that and that you would go to him and praise him and thank him for all he's done. Man, that, that's, that's the goal of the gospel is that you and I might turn to the cross and turn to the resurrection and praise God for it and your life be forever changed. Amen? Would you bow your heads here for just a moment? We're going to pray, and uh, these guys are going to lead us here a little bit in, a, in another song. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has overcome. We thank you, Lord God, that you have overcome death and darkness. We thank you that you have overcome our sin. We thank you that you overcome our trouble and our suffering. We thank you and we praise you, Lord God, this morning. Father, uh, for anyone here who doesn't know your forgiveness, for anyone here who has not yet trusted you, if you're here this morning and that's you, if you've never trusted the Lord, I want to just lead you in a prayer this morning and, and just ask, if you're, ready, if, if you're ready to follow the Lord, if you're, if you're ready to give your heart to Him, would you just pray this with me this morning? Heavenly Father, just quietly there yourself, just, just in your mind, just, just pray these words to Him. Heavenly Father, I recognize Jesus' death on the cross, that He died for me, that He died for my sin but he also died for my freedom that I could be free from my sin, free from my guilt, free from my shame. And this morning, Lord, I want to accept Jesus' gift of forgiveness. Right now, this morning, on this Easter day, I want to accept Jesus' gift of forgiveness. I want to follow you. I want my relationship with you to be restored. I want to walk in your forgiveness and your mercy. Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you prayed that this morning, you need to let someone know. If you've prayed that for the first time, if you for the very first time had the opportunity and the Spirit was inside you just stirring you up to, to go and seek the Lord Jesus, you need to tell someone. You need to talk to them because you need to be ready to take the next steps in following the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. And I'm going to invite you.